All right. Uh, it is good, again, to be with you in person. And I emphasize that in person uh, because teaching in person is so radically different for me. Uh, what I love about teaching is when it's not this one-sided thing, uh, but when there's this give-and-take interaction with the people who are listening. Uh, and we just haven't been able to have a lot of that lately. Uh, I haven't taught, I've taught and shared some sermons over the, the course of the last several months, but I haven't taught seeing your eyes since last year, <laughs> which just seems like forever ago at this point. Uh, it's so much better in person because when I'm teaching, I like to know what's resonating or not. So I know if it's landing, I know if I need to lean further into something or not. Uh, so I like the head nods or the looks of curiosity or whatnot, but I, I have to admit, in this, in this baseball stadium, it's really great in a lot of ways, but it's really hard to get all of that, right? So my, my daughter Sophie is in drama, and they always say, like, you have to project as though the people in the back row are going to see all of your actions. So I could really use that from you guys tonight, right? So if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I get that, that's good, right? Like, give me something big, you know, like big head nods or a thumbs up or something along the way, all right? And if you're listening and you're like, no, that ain't it, you know, like give me big nose or maybe a little bit of this, okay? Um, if you're listening and normally you'd be like, oh, I don't know what to think about that. Like, I see those looks and I explain further, right? So, but if you're doing that, like throw in the, like, the chin scratch along with it or something. And if you're listening and watching all of this and you're like, this is the worst thing that I have ever watched in my entire life, then just pretend you're a Michigan fan and everything will feel a lot more normal. It's almost football season. I gotta, I gotta get some of that in there. I'm sorry, not really, maybe. Uh, what we've been talking about, uh, with those rules in place, what we've been talking about is uh, sacred questions. So the sacred questions we're learning about are questions that God or Jesus asked people throughout the scriptures, right? And we find these questions to be important because we recognize that God and Jesus already knew the answers to the questions that they were asking, right? They kind of know things. Uh, so they were asking these questions because the questions were useful for our sake, for the sake of the processor, and we know that it's not just for the sake of those who are in the stories that Jesus and God were directly interacting with, because these questions and these stories were important enough to make it into the scriptures, which show us that these are important lessons for all of us, even today, 2,000 some years later. So we've been going into these sacred questions, and we have a sacred question for today that we're going to dive into this question, and it's from Exodus chapter 3. And chapter 4, where we find our question. And the question comes from Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, which is this. Be ready. Then the Lord said to Moses, what is in your hand? And Moses replied, my staff. Man, that is just deep, right? I don't, do you feel moved by that? It's already beginning to stir in you and work in you, the profound nature of that question. It seems kind of crazy, some overly simple thing. And yeah, I think we can get there, but if we're going to get there, I admit that this one doesn't necessarily speak for itself, so let's get into the background a little bit. If you're understanding the background of this question in the book of Exodus in general, you have to start by understanding that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, God's people, had been carried off into slavery by the empire of Egypt under Pharaoh. And they've now spent generations upon generations, hundreds of years in captivity and in slavery, forced to do grueling work day in and day out for someone that has none of their interests at heart. 
the slavery has been horrible and taxing, and at times they have even faced uh, genocide from the Pharaoh. So the people to which this question becomes important to are people that are experiencing these super heavy things. They're experiencing this pain and suffering. And we can't understand where this question is going without seeing that backdrop of pain and suffering in the lives of the people that are curious about the story that's about to take place. Now, I think that's something that we also can relate to, right? Pain and suffering is something that doesn't, no, none of us can escape. Pain and suffering is a part of life that we all walk through at some point in time or another. Maybe it's beyond pain and suffering, and I'm not saying it's the same pain and suffering at all that the Hebrew people were facing under slavery, but it still hurts. And maybe it's not just pain or suffering. Maybe it's weariness or exhaustion or frustration or simply feeling stuck in life. We all face these times where we've been in these situations where life just feels too hard. It feels too challenging. It feels like we can't move forward. And in all sorts of ways, sometimes we experience that in our relationships. Maybe it's in our physical or mental health where we've experienced pain and suffering that's carried with us over a period of time. Maybe it's related to our work, our economic ability to survive and provide for ourselves and for our family. Maybe it's in relation to COVID that this has been going on so long, you just need to know when it's going to stop. There's so many ways. And if not in our lives, it's in the lives of those that we see around us. I currently uh, am carrying the burden of seeing crippling poverty and how it affects uh, those in my neighborhood. On my block, I'm seeing children that in the midst of this pandemic don't have the support in place to be able to succeed at virtual learning. And so they're spending this time getting further and further behind in their work to a point that they probably will not be able to catch up moving forward. And it isn't just my neighbors. This is a pattern that kids across the country are experiencing. And you wonder, when is all this going to end? How is it going to end? There's people, there's friends, there's people that are dying simply due to lack of the ability to afford health care to be able to keep going. And it's not just here or there. There's thousands of people that are facing this in our world today. Our world is full of pain and suffering. Where do we even begin? Well, that is where Moses enters the picture. So if you know the story of Moses, uh, you know that Moses was born to a Hebrew family, but they actually surrendered him to try and save his life because Pharaoh was trying to kill all of the Hebrew babies that were being born uh, to, as a method of population control to make sure there wasn't a slave uprising. As a way to maintain the power that he already had, he was killing children. So Moses' family uh, surrendered him into the water, and he was unknowingly, unwittingly taken in and adopted into Pharaoh's family itself, pulled into and adopted into the palace. But even growing up in the palace, um, Moses was not able to escape the burden of his people. He became aware. He saw the injustice and knew that he had a role in this as well. So he tried at some point to do something about it. He tried to stop the injustice that was going on. He failed miserably, and Moses fled to the desert. In the desert, he ended up living to an older age, just carrying the despair of his people with him. Until God meets Moses one day in the desert, 
for this conversation. Let's pick it up in chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. There's going to be a quiz on those later. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God is stepping in here, and he's saying, hey guys, great news. I have heard the cry of my people, and I am not going to stand by while this continues. I have heard your cries. I have heard your pain. I have heard your suffering, and I'm going to do something about it. Their hope is on the way. Hope has arrived because I am sending you, Moses, into this situation to do something about it. There is hope. And this story of God bringing hope into the midst of this pain and suffering isn't just the story of the people of Israel, because it's not just in Exodus that we find this. Over and over and over throughout scriptures, we see this theme repeated of God saying, I heard your cries, and now I'm stepping in to act on your behalf. There is hope, because we have a God who hears, and a God who cares, and will step in when he hears our cries. And that hope belongs to us. And those things we were just talking about, I don't know each of your personal stories. But whatever that burden is that you're carrying, that challenge that you face, whether for yourself or for others, whatever that is, there is hope for you in the middle of that situation. Whatever it is, however long you've been facing it, there is hope for moving forward. And if not today, someday, right? That is the message of the Christian faith that God is setting about restoring and repairing our broken world. And in the end, that is the vision that we hold on to. That is the hope that we hold on to is that all of this will not be the end of the story. So for us, may we hear that hope is on the way and may we be encouraged by that. And surely as Moses is hearing this from God, that God is finally going to do something about this burden he's been carrying on behalf of his people, he's surely thrilled, right? Well, let's check out his response that followed. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Let's pause there real quick. Okay, so Moses is saying, God, that's great that you have a plan to free our people. That's great that there's this hope you're saying that we have to do this. But you're saying that I'm the plan for this hope? Are you forgetting that I already tried once and failed miserably? Are you forgetting that I already set out on this path and nothing good came of it? In fact, only bad came from it. Who am I? You talk this good talk, God, but it doesn't really seem like it's too possible. He goes on. And Moses also said to God, suppose I do go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, what is his name even? Then what shall I tell them? And then he goes on again and he says, uh, what if, when, this is talking about when he goes to the Egyptians, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and they say the Lord didn't even appear to you. You're just a crazy man that's saying God is doing all this. Right, so Moses hears the call from God, and instead of responding excited, Moses responds with skepticism. 
He says, it's great that you're going to, you say that you're going to bring hope, God, but it just doesn't seem like we're anywhere close to that. You can paint this pretty picture, but I don't know, God, if you realize how far away from hope things really feel right now. Moses is saying that there's this challenge, that what we're talking about, this, the slavery, the empire, it's too big, it's too strong, it's lasted too long, it's great to talk about hope, but sometimes hope just still feels so far away. And I kind of think Moses knows what he's talking about, right? Who else would know the power of Pharaoh but a man who grew up in the house of Pharaoh? He knows how it works. He knows the power that Pharaoh wields. He knows what happens when people try to cross Pharaoh. He knows about the armies and the military victories and the whips and the murders. He knows what it's like. He also knows the Hebrew people. Right? Remember how I said he tried and he failed? What he did was one day he became so frustrated by the oppression of the Hebrew people that still as a member of Pharaoh's household, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew person and he came over and took matters into his hands and he killed the Egyptian to save the man who was being beaten. And he buried the Egyptian in the desert so nobody would ever know about it. It was a little act of rebellion against the empire. And he would have gotten away with it. But do you know who turned him in? Who ratted him out? Who caused the problem? The Hebrew people. His own people that he was trying to protect stepped forward and started complaining about the things that he had done and made it known. And as they ratted him out, then he came under the attention of Pharaoh and knew that he needed to leave. Moses knew the obstacles in place because the depth of despair was set in so deep, he didn't know that there would be cooperation either from Pharaoh or from the Hebrew people due to the depths of their despair. Moses says to God, God, you say there's hope, but I just don't see it. This hope that you're talking about just seems so far out of reach. How about you? Have you ever felt that? Right? We're talking about the Christian faith here. We talk about hope all the time. But sometimes we've just been walking these battles for so long that hope just seems so far off. Or we've tried so hard and the challenges just seem too great. You hear these messages of hope, but you know the story that you face, just like Moses did. You know your addiction and how long you've battled and longed for something to be different. You know how heavy the depression or anxiety is that you've faced, that you've just prayed that it would go away day in and day out and it's still there. Or the relationships that you've longed to see repaired, but it seems like there's so much history there that you don't know if it can ever be overcome. There may be hope, but often it certainly doesn't feel like it's within reach. To that feeling, God responds with us. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. I love that, because I would have totally run from that too. Uh, 
Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Okay, so God clearly has a plan here. God clearly is going to do something. He's going to intervene in this supernatural, miraculous ways. Before he does, he still wants Moses to take a part in this, right? And he asks this question to Moses, what is in your hand? And again, like I said at the beginning, it's not because God is bad at object identification, right? It's not like he can't see or recognize what Moses is holding on to. Or it's not like he wouldn't know already. The reason he's asking Moses is he's asking Moses a question that will probe the way that he's been thinking. That hope is so distant, it's out of reach. And God steps in and asks the question, what is in your hand? And on some level, this question is meant to be answered. And we'll get to that in a moment. But on another question, on another level, the question is just meant to awaken us to the possibility that this hope that has seemed so distant might actually already be right nearby. Maybe we haven't even allowed ourselves to even consider that hope that we're longing for might be close to us. Today, I was getting ready to come here. And I was kind of frantic uh, getting out the door. I always feel like I'm running late. Does anybody, like, even if I'm early, I always feel like I'm late. Is that anybody? Yeah. Uh, so I'm frantically trying to get out the door, and I can't find my mask, right? And I want to make sure that I have my mask. I want to make sure that I'm being kind and responsible to my neighbors. So I'm freaking out that I can't find my mask, and I'm going through the house, and I'm going through my drawers, and um, I'm going through the couch, you know, like... Uh, down in there, and I'm looking everywhere, all the places that I would put my mask, and I am so extremely frustrated until, and this is the stupid part of the story, I found that I was holding it in my left hand, right? The entire time, I had been holding it in my hand, frantically looking for it. And part of that's because I'm getting old and you do stuff like that, but part of it is just that when you've already ruled out something being so close to you, it's not even a consideration in your mind, right? Surely this thing is far away. Surely this thing is out there in some place that I have to go looking for. So I didn't even consider the fact that I might be having it already right with me. How does our relationship with hope then change and how we see it and how we feel and how we experience it. How does a relationship with hope change when we consider that it might actually be within reach instead of something distant that's out there? When we consider that hope might be near instead of distant, just that consideration, I believe, already begins to do something in us. I think of uh, going on vacation each year. Um, it's something I can do hard things for a long period of time if I know there's like a light at the end of the tunnel, right? And so like if work is intense or life is intense uh, with, with parenting and coaching and school and all these different things, right? If life is intense, it's okay if I know that there's going to be this moment where things are going to ease up a little bit, right? And so I look forward to vacation every year and I circle it on our calendar, right? Uh, but even though I circle it on my calendar, that's what kind of keeps me going, that distant hope but it still feels like this distant thing until right about the week before I go and you actually start having to take steps towards that hope, right? You have to, you have to reach out and touch a little bit. You have to start packing, right, for whatever you're going to be doing. Uh, in your workday, you have to start uh, preparing to hand off things for when you're going to be gone uh, throughout that length of time, right? And as you start to do those things, the, the distant hope of vacation becomes this uh, now kind of a thing. 
right? And I tell you what, like, even in the process of starting to pack, I start to feel relaxed, right? Just in the process of preparing for vacation, the vacation seems that much nearer that I already start to feel myself begin to change because I recognize that vacation is near, right? And then even we'll get on the road. We often, uh, we like to go down to Florida and we'll drive there because I'm cheap like that. Uh, And as we drive there, it'll be, you know, like a 20-hour car ride, and I'm just thrilled to be able to make that car ride because it's vacation, and this is already the steps taking to get there, right? When you recognize that something is near, even before you're on the beach, even before you're sitting there in the hammock or beside the pool, just taking those steps toward hope, recognizing it's near, already starts to do something in us. And that's what we're talking about here. What does it look like for us to just consider that that hope that seems so far out might actually be here within reach? What is in your hand? What might be closer than you think? But there's also the literal side of this, of answering the question. Because when we actually take time to answer the question in inventory life, we often find out that some of the very things that we need to move forward are already with us but that we fail to see them or see them in any positive way, right? They might already be the tools, the things that will drive us forward, that will carry us forward, might already be present in our life in ways we haven't considered. So the question is, what is in your hand? Literally, what are the things that are already present in your life that are the foundations of hope that will carry you forward? In our moments of despair, it's so easy to only see the challenges, to see the difficulties, to see the bad things before us, and so hard to take inventory of the goodness and the blessings that might also be existing in our life. So what does it look like for us to take the time to inventory the goodness and the hope that's already present? To simply take note of the resources that we do have in our lives, even when it's easy to notice the resources that are absent to notice the time and the energy that we have to give, to notice the people that are already in our lives, or the wisdom and emotional tools and coping strategies that somebody else, maybe parents or grandparents or other people in our life, have passed on to us that give us a foundation of strength. Or maybe it's the access that we find to support Right, that we know how to find support when we need it most. What are those things that are already in our hands when we're feeling the most despair? Because we might find that sometimes the things we need to start us moving forward are already there with us. Let's go on with this story, though. In chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, put your hand now inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was filled with leprosy. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now I love this part, right? Because God had already done this supernatural experiment with a stick, and now he moves on to his hand. It's like God anticipated Moses saying, but what if I lose my stick, (laughs) right? Like, what then? Because Moses clearly is struggling to figure all this out, that God is walking with him and that God is doing these things. But God anticipates that because in a way that is a fair question as well. What do we do when we feel like we have nothing in our hands? 
when we feel like we have nothing. Because honestly, like all of this inventory talk works fairly well in the United States of America when we're the wealthiest nation on the planet, right? More often than not, there are some resources that we have near to us, either within our own grasp or within people that are near and connected to us. That works really well. But the reality is that isn't always the case, that we have lots of resources in our hands or access to them, right? And what do we do when we see many parts of the world that are just uh, destroyed by poverty, where people are struggling to, to be fed and to live and to survive? I once heard a theologian say that if your theology uh, is only good for some people and doesn't work for everybody, it's not a great theology, Right? So we need to know if, hope, if we believe that hope is at hand and that we can be encouraged that hope is nearer than we think and it's not just this distant thing, how does that work for us when we feel like or literally lack many things in our hands? Uh, I was a philosophy major and so we talked about weird stuff. One of the, the things that stood out uh, to me during my time learning um, was a philosopher by the name of Rene Descartes, and he was interested in knowledge, right? Like, what is it that we can really know? Because if we're honest, life is really complicated, and there's lots of things that we think we know for a while, and then we find out that we didn't, right? And life is only getting more complicated. Hey, this whole thing, you know, this might all just be my life is a movie, like the Truman Show, right? And you guys are all actors in it. I don't know if you've seen that. Or this might all be virtual reality. We'll find out later that my life is just in the middle of this big game, or yours is as well, right? There's a lot of things that we think we know in life, and sometimes we find out that we were fooled. And so Descartes was interested in saying, like, but what is the foundation we can build on, right? How do we know, like, at the base level, how do we know what, what the simplest thing we can know is? And that's kind of the question I hear for a hope. Uh, for Descartes, his answer was this. He said, I think, therefore I am. Have you heard that before, Mammy? I think, therefore, I am. And what he was saying was, I may not know much, I may not know anything, but if I'm thinking, I must exist on some level, right? Like, that's pretty simple, right? If I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I'm a human thinking or a dog thinking, but if I'm thinking, I'm a something, right? So I think, therefore, I exist. What is that equivalent with hope for us? Because if we believe that hope is there, and we believe the big picture of what God is doing is one filled with hope, but we also believe in the story that hope is at hand, that hope is nearer than we think, what can we count on? Well, I believe for us as a Christian faith, it comes down to one of our mantras, everyone an icon, right? That no matter what, we believe what we see in Scripture, that each and every one of us was created in the image of God, created to reflect the dignity of God to the world. Whether you're a king or queen, or whether you're an orphan on the streets, or anywhere in between. Yeah, whatever your story is, at the very basic core, I think therefore I am, is that we are instilled with the dignity and worth of God, right? So even when our hand is most empty, we are still full because we carry the dignity of God inside each and every one of us. And that alone is a tangible source of hope. There's one final move here I want to talk about in this passage. It comes in the next verse. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord, but I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. 
All right, so you feel like Moses is making progress. <laughs> Maybe, right? And so now he's acknowledging himself as a servant of God, like, this, like I'm willing to do what you're saying. Okay, God, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that you've got a plan here that I'm going to be a part of. But the reality is, as I look at my hand, like I see some things in it, namely my staff, but there's also some things that I see are necessary for this journey that aren't in my hand, namely eloquence. Right, the ability to, to talk well. And I think for Moses, uh, God was frustrated at this, right? Because God is realizing Mo Moses still doesn't get it. <laughs> Moses still doesn't get that God just changed his staff into a snake and back again. So um, God's a little frustrated with where Moses is going with this. But God also acknowledges that there's something right in how Moses is thinking. Because he ends up coming to Moses and he says, Okay, sure, that's not in your hand. And he says, What about Aaron? over there. What about Aaron? Aaron is somebody who speaks really well. Why don't you take him with you? And then Aaron can speak eloquently when eloquent words are needed. And so in this interaction here, there's this acknowledgement that yes, we might look at our hands and recognize that there are some things missing that we need for life to move forward. But we also can recognize that sometimes there's other people around us that have those things in their hands that we don't have in ours. And that is the nature of community. Right? We can understand that the need to, to, uh, to work together, to, to share what we have in common, should drive us into deeper community with one another. So that we don't have to go through life alone in this process. It's a very American way of thinking to think that every problem that we face is something we need to figure out for ourselves, that each and every one of us is responsible for our own well-being. But that is not an idea that we see throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, we are constantly drawn to the need to be together, to work together, to share together in community. That is the way that we are expected to go about the things God sets before us and the challenges in life, not the expectation that we would do it alone. On the other side of this uh, is the consideration that what's in our hands might be useful for others, right? Aaron is a part of this conversation. He has something in his hand. He was, this was not a part of his plan, right? This was Moses' task was to go before Pharaoh and do this thing. But Aaron had something in his hand that Moses didn't, which was his ability to speak. And he lent that to Moses in the process of what God was doing. And we have that same question for ourselves. What might be in our hand that we've seen that is useful to what God is doing and bringing hope to other people, hope to the lives of others that are around us? What is in our hand that might be useful for someone else? I think of our family's um, journey into foster care, which radically changed our lives. And I'd like to say that like, there was some like, grand calling that we knew what we were doing, that this is something that we'd always dreamed about doing. Um, and it, it just wasn't, that's not our story. That's not how things went for us. Uh, for us, it was just merely answering this question, what's in your hand? And there was a day we were sitting there together as a couple, and we were praying about this, what's in our hand? And we recognize in our hand right now, we have more resources than our family needs. In our hand right now, we have more time. Uh, we have extra time that we have available to give. We, in our family, we have extra nurture beyond what we're already giving out. We have these things in our hand. 
And as a result of recognizing that those things were in our hand, then we recognized the need was there and that we could lend our hand to that. The question for us is not just what's in our hand and what do we need from others, but also what's in our hand and what can we extend to others in their journey to provide hope and tangible movement in their life. Before we close, we're going to take some time. The band's going to lead us here a little bit. But I just want to point back to that question as you listen to this song. Is that what is in your hand? As we sit and listen, what is in your hand? Let's consider that as we listen and then we'll close.